afternoon or evening for wherever you may be joining us from today. Welcome to the Life Church Podcast. We just do that one more time before we turn to the word of the Lord. Why don't we begin to just worship him? For the glory of the Lord has filled this place. For the glory of the Lord sits in this place. And it's that glory that changes us. The word says that we are being made into his image from glory to glory. Day after day, he is making us in his likeness. He is imparting his righteousness upon us. Jesus, we want to be more like you. God, I want to live my life more like you. God, I want to I want to live my life more like you. Every day that I wake up, I want to do life a little better. I want to reflect your image just a little bit better. I want to reflect the glory of the Lord just a little bit more. God, fill this place and fill my heart today by the power of your mighty spirit. Every chain has to fall. Fear bows at the mention of your name. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Doesn't matter what you're going through right now. Doesn't matter what the world looks like right now. It doesn't matter what mess is going on. Fear has to bow at the name of Jesus. Doesn't matter what he's trying to make you think in your mind today. Doesn't matter what he's trying to make you worry about today. Sister Milenki, it doesn't matter if there's a sickness in your body. Fear bows at the name of Jesus. He brings perfect peace. He brings perfect peace into your mind. He brings perfect peace into your heart. That is the glory of the Lord that we sing about today. Show us that glory, God. The fullness of the Lord, the fullness of God dwells in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. One more time, just lift your voice and begin to celebrate him as we close out this worship set today. Just celebrate him one more time, whether it be with your voice or by clapping your hands or lifting your hands up. Just one more time. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Thank you, God, for your spirit and your presence that is here right now in this place. We pray it in your precious name. Amen. I'm going to let you be seated this morning. Brother Lewis, if you would help me for a moment, um, just get a couple things here. That little table first. Um, it's so good to be with you today and, and, and minister to you, bro. You can just set that right here. And then that easel and that mirror. I'll need both of those from you. Um, I was thinking about, um, as I was getting ready to preach today, when the last time was that I had preached to you. Um, and I think it was at Christmas time of last year. So it's been some time. Yeah, you go grab the mirror, and I'll set that up in a perfect spot. I'll let you go by me here, Mark. Don't want to get too close to you. Christmas time of last year. It's been a minute. Been too long, Pastor says. I had a baby, and that's what I was going to get at, is that there's been a lot that has changed since I have seen you, both in my life and in your life. Last time I saw you, we were not in a pandemic. Preached to you, we were not in a pandemic. Um, I did not have a little baby um, crying at home, needing to be cared for, and needing to be nurtured. And so much has changed. 
Um, and so uh, before we begin today, I just want to give honor to my pastor, your pastor. Um, you know, sometimes we don't think about it, but um, I was I was trying to put together some, some thoughts today. And I, for the past probably five months, maybe with one exception, pastor has brought the word every single week. Um, and normally throughout the year, we have special guests that come. And, and part of that is so that we can have some, some variety and different people speaking into your life. But part of that gives our pastor an opportunity to have a refresh. Um, pastoring is a 24-hour-a-day, seven-day a week job, and you just kind of try to get little breaths when you can. Um, and so, Pastor, I thank you. Um, you have relentlessly, over the past four or five months, preached every single week, and many of those weeks there wasn't a soul in the room. Um, and I don't know about you guys, but if you've ever tried to put your heart and soul into preaching to an empty room, um, it is not what you signed up for or thought you were getting into when you became a pastor. Um, and so, Pastor, from the bottom of my heart, um, I want to thank you for leading us in these times. Um, I wanted to publicly say that as I had opportunity to today. Uh, we thank you for your leadership. You've done a marvelous job. I know you've woken up on days and, and wondered if anybody would ever come back to church after being away for three, four months, and that weighs heavy on somebody. And so you have done a remarkable job of leading us with wisdom, safety, not being flagrant to the, the laws of the land. We're respecting the laws of the land to keep our people safe. Um, he has a great team, but at the head of every great team is a great leader. And so I thank you today um, just for your leadership. It's, that's all right. Go ahead. Um, I want to let people know on Facebook that I'm actually, uh, I'm actually watching you or your comments. So you can preach with me today. Um, and I would be tickled if you would just preach with me. Um, you can type it in the chat, and I will see it. I can see myself preaching, which is kind of different, um, but that's kind of cool. So please feel free. I know if you're at home today, um, I think one thing we've learned through this pandemic is that church does not just have to happen in these four walls. Um, there's something special that happens when we come together, and I, I, I pray the day when this church once again has 100 people, and we're shoulder to shoulder, and we're worshiping together, but we've learned that church can happen outside of these walls. And so if you're at home today, I encourage you uh, just to worship at home. Get behind the preacher at home each and every week. If you're at home, find a spot in your house to turn off distractions and get into the Word of God. And I'm preaching with you at home today, you in the overflow upstairs. I believe that the Word of the Lord is going to come forth today and speak to you and minister to you. God has given me a word. Uh, I believe that it's for somebody today. It may be for some. It may be for all. But I believe that if you will hear the Word of the Lord today, He will speak to you. And I believe that there can be an outpouring of His Spirit here today to refresh and to renew and to fill, maybe for the first time, somebody's heart and somebody's life. Amen. All right. Um, let's get started. Remember when? Probably uh, maybe something you've thought about over the past little while. Remember when? Anybody had a moment in the past maybe month or two when you tried to remember what life was like before a certain thing? Maybe life was like before the global pandemic that we are in right now. You know, maybe you remember the time when you could go into a public space and you could put your hands on a surface without having to worry about wearing gloves or sanitizing. Maybe when was the last time you got on a streetcar and you touched that grab rail or on a subway? You didn't worry about getting sick. You know what I mean? 
When's the last time that you comfortably maybe got in the car together as a family and drove down to the grocery store and you had that great experience of walking the aisles, picking up the products, squeezing the produce, picking out, your, picking out the freshest avocados. Anybody right now buying an avocado, you can't touch them so you don't know if they're good to eat or not. It's just so frustrating. Remember when? Perhaps it's went to work. I was telling Brother Sheldon today, I have not been to my office since February. Since February, I don't even know what my office looks like anymore. Anybody even remember what work looks like, what it feels like? Remember to wake up in the morning and, and, and drive on the, the highway and fight the traffic to get to work. Remember when? How about hug somebody? Just, just went out and hugged somebody. You know, walked up to somebody and said, so good to see you. Somebody that's not your wife. I should, I should probably clarify that. How about went out to a meal at a restaurant? You know, we're, we're kind of at that point now where we're getting back into some normalcy, but how about going to a, a, a buffet? You know, going to a buffet and, and picking out your own food and breathing on top of the, the warm buffet trays. Remember when? Handshakes. When's the last time you had a formal meeting where you met somebody and you shook their hand at the, the first mention of their name? Or perhaps it was a family vacation. Everybody right now is probably dying for a vacation to get away somewhere. When was the last time? Remember when we used to take family vacations? Perhaps it's your first computer. Maybe you remember back to that very first computer that you got. And all the apostolics celebrated. Or your first cell phone. I remember when my dad got the first cell phone in our family, and it was huge. I think it was the bag phone. You know, you had the bag you put in the car. Remember when? There's times of life when we can remember back to the way maybe something was, or maybe a memory comes back to you time after time again. Remembrance is a powerful thing. And the physical uh, neuro neuroscientists would call it uh, one of the aspects of your memory, your non-declarative memory. And with your non-declarative memory, there's a couple aspects of memory that we have in our minds. One is called our procedural memories, which, uses, which is what your body uses to remember the skills that you've learned. You play an instrument or you never forget how to ride a bike. It's those procedural memories that you contain in your brain that help you to do those procedures. Another form of a non-declarative memory can shape your body's responses. It can cause your body to do things. You, you salivate when you smell that fresh barbecued steak. It's because there's a memory in your procedural and your, 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 your memory system that is bringing back into your mind a physical response of your body. That's how powerful our mind is. That is how powerful our memories can be to us as individuals. You know, memories are a powerful, even as I'm talking about this now, I can think back to my childhood where my mom is cleaning the kitchen and I can smell, I can smell the smell of the lemon pine floor cleaner that she's using. I can, I can, I can physically smell that right now as, as I'm thinking about it. You all have memories like that where you can think back to a moment and it's like you're still there. You're reliving that moment. The mind is a powerful, powerful thing. And perhaps we don't realize that and it's not so best understood until we try to forget something. You know, some of us forget things easily. But if we're honest, there's all things in our life, in the history of our life, the pages and the chapters of our life that sometimes we wish 
we could just forget. And it's in those moments when we realize how powerful the mind is and how much the enemy of our soul would like to exploit our minds and bring back into remembrance maybe someone or some place or something and that you just can't shake because our mind is a powerful thing. And sometimes you just hear that whisper, remember when, remember when, remember when, because the mind is a powerful thing. Perhaps this is why the scripture says, this is, this is Paul writing in Philippians 4, 4 verse 8. And I mean, you know Paul's story. If you've been following us in our community group, you know that Paul is the one that we read about in Acts where he was the persecutor of Christians. He was killing Christians. He, he, he despised their, what they stood for, what they believed in that Jesus. And here he writes, this Paul had a background of, of pages and chapters and books that I'm sure he wishes he could forget some days. He says, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, what things are lovely, what things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The King James says, think on these things. Paul knew that the mind was a powerful thing. And unless we meditate on the things of God, it's so easy to go back to those places in our minds that we don't like sometimes. And we meditate on them. We think on them. And if we're honest with each other, we don't always think on the things that are just. We don't always think about the things that are true. Because for, for some of you, what you think is true, God turned that story around. It might have once been true of you, but God changed you. So don't think about what you used to be or who you used to be, but who God has turned you into. So Paul is saying you got to think on these things. Paul provides us with a virtuous list of goals to protect our mind and our thought life. We often in our everyday life think about what we see, what we hear, and what we experience. Last night when I was trying to sleep, it's 2 o'clock in the morning. My brain is thinking about what I had heard, what I had seen, what I experienced in the days prior. It's just how our mind works, and there's times if we're not careful that we can go to places where the devil will want to say, remember when, remember when, remember when, remember who you were, remember where you were. But Paul says, think on these things that are praiseworthy. What is he doing in you? What do we reflect on? You guys have probably been wondering why there's a mirror here. I know you might not all be able to see this. It'll get better as it goes. What do you reflect on in your mind? What things come back into your mind when you look into the mirror? You think about the past. You think about where life has been. What do you reflect on? Remember when? In saying this, Paul is really showing us in reality that we have a choice. Paul is admonishing us to think on the things that are good. He's telling us, you have a choice. You can think on things that are good, and if you don't, the other option is to dwell and think on the things that are negative. Think on the things that are not true. Think on the things that are not really who you are, but the devil is whispering into your mind each and every day. He's showing us that we have a choice. 
the writer of Proverbs, in Proverbs 23 and 7 says, For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. Now more than ever, our minds are under a constant bombardment. This whole COVID thing has, has, has caused an influx of people to be under attack mentally. Be under attack in their spirit. And as you think in your heart, not as you feel, I wake up and I look at that new baby that I have and I, I just, my heart is full. But it's not about the emotion that I feel. It's how I think because my mind controls what I do, what I say, where I go. As you think in your heart, so you are. Sister O'Donnell preached, maybe it was a year, year and a half ago. Uh, she used this, this keynote verse it's in 2 Corinthians. It won't be on the screen. Cast down your imaginations. I remember sitting right here in the seat, and she said, cast it down. She had us reach up and cast down every imagination and everything that exalts itself against God. Because there are things that come into our mind that want to exalt themselves against the things of God. Remember when, remember when. Some of you need to cast down the things that are in your mind. Some of you need to reach up and cast down in prayer and cast down and declare that thing that I've been thinking about, that thing that has been bothering me, that thing that I keep going back to is not going to have a dominion on my mind anymore. Cast down all imaginations. Isaiah 26 and 3, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. God, I get goosebumps when I come into worship service and the, the, the worship team is singing and they're hitting the harmony notes just right. But God, it's my mind which keeps me stayed on you. The worship service experience with the goosebumps doesn't keep me stayed on you, God, because when I get out of church, I have to have a mind that is made up, and I have to have a mind that is fixed on you and you alone because it's my mind that will keep me in perfect peace. And I trust in you. Your mind has control of your future and your success in Jesus. I was just looking up some, some stats. Sister Dobb, it is good to see you this morning. She says, I am watching. Thank you, Sister Dobb. We are praying and believing that this word is going to speak to you today. I was just looking up some quick stats online about mental stress during this pandemic. And there's lots of articles out there, and there's lots of information, and I understand we're in an information overload zone right now. But I just picked up one quick stat. They, they've, they've measured this over the course of history when there's major world events, World War I, World War II. And they've determined that in those major world events that cause stress, there's always an increase of ca cardiovascular disease. There's an increase of immune system depressants. Your body's immune system starts to depress itself. How convenient in a pandemic where stress is almost causing this vicious circle. All because of what's happening in your mind. Your mind can control the physical man. But I looked up some stats. This is, this is some stats, not from some foreign country, but this is stats from Canada. Get this. 
a Canadian mental health association, pointed to Nova Scotia as an example of the places where the organization is seeing a spike in the number of people asking for mental health help. Branches in that province would normally see around 25 phone calls per day, and they recently received 700 in a single 24-hour period. All because of a pandemic causing stress in the life of a person. And I'm sure that's a mixture of church people, non-church people alike. You see, the Bible tells us that the devil can work in three ways. He tempts us with the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Lust of the flesh is the pleasures of this world, the things and the pleasures that I want, the experiences that I want. The lust of the eyes, the things that I want to possess, my cars, my cottages, my homes, the things, the, the, the threads that I put on when I walk out the door. Pride of life, my accomplishments, my achievements. These are three areas where the devil comes into our mind and tries to tempt us, tries to control us. And I find it so interesting that in COVID, it has exposed us to the reality that those things don't sustain us. It's like overnight, the pride of life I take pride in my job and I can't even go to my office. I take pride in my achievement at work and I can't even go to the office. I take pride in my possessions and I'm foreclosing on properties and I'm not able to afford payments and, and, and I want to go places and ex make these great experiences and I can't anymore. And all of a sudden, the life that those things promised, the joy that those things promised, the hope that those things promised vaporizes overnight. And we see the mental health stress of a life that is not dependent upon Christ for our joy, whose mind is not fixed on thee who gives me perfect peace, but it's fixed upon the things of this world. And we have mental breakdowns. We have people committing suicide. We have people going on to antidepressants because their mind is not stayed on the one who brings perfect peace. And the church is not immune. Matter of fact, I'm going to I'm going to bring in a couple characters from the Bible who were not immune to remember when moments in their life. And, and you don't have to be a Bible scholar to find it. It's not hidden in the text of Scripture. But the writers of the Gospels make it pretty plain and clear to us that there are people, some of Jesus' closest friends, who were failures and created for themselves some remember when moments that either led them to torment and toil or back to restoration and peace. We're going to look at a couple characters, namely Judas and Peter. And as soon as I say those names, you can already by name association put together a bit of their character traits and their story. If you've been in church at any length of time, you remember Judas? Most of us, as soon as I say that name, would call him the betrayer. Hopefully I don't break a mirror today. He's the betrayer of Jesus. He's the one who sold out Jesus. He was full of greed. He was full of pride. That Judas, that Judas. Remember Peter. Oh, Peter, we love Peter. Outspoken. Anger problems. You can't be cutting a guy's ear off. 
and not have some anger issues. How about stubborn, strong-willed? Mm. Both disciples, both walked and talked and lived with Jesus. Both of them gave up a life they once knew to follow the one that they called teacher, the one that they called Messiah, day in and day out would walk and do ministry, saw miracles happen, saw lives change, saw the dead raised. Both disciples, both friends of Jesus, both brothers, Lewis, let's go start a church. Let's go uh, sell what we have and let's go start a work and let's do life together for the next three years. Let's go out and just give everything that we have, bind together as brothers and go out and reach people for the world. That's the relationship that they had. Both failed Jesus. Both betrayed Jesus. Both had, a, had, had flaws in their personalities that came up. And we see them fail Jesus. Most of you would know the story, but just to give a little bit of uh, scaffolding to the story, so to speak. Both disciples walked, talked, lived, communed with Jesus day in and day out. Both failed them and both were left with the painful sting of a memory. A painful sting and a reminder of their abandonment, their disappointment that Jesus would have felt towards them. Each of the gospel records their stories for us to see. Jesus is preparing essentially for the last week of his life in the, in, in the latter half of, of Matthew's gospel around chapter 26. He's preparing essentially for the last week of his life before he knows he's going to go to the cross. And knowing what would be ahead of him in his crucifixion. Jesus knew the disciples were going to be hardened by this. They're going to be troubled by this. As I said, they were his closest friends, and Jesus is going to his death. And so Jesus knows the disciples are going to be rocked by this. And so he begins to gather them and drop little uh, nuggets of revelation to them. He begins to gather them and say, guys, here's what's going to happen. In the coming days, this temple is going to be broken. This temple is going to be destroyed. I am going to die he begins to bring the disciples into this conversation because he knows what lies ahead of him. He gathers them to tell them that he would be handed over to be killed. He'd been trying to slowly bring them into the reality of what was going on. They didn't completely understand it. How, how Jesus? If you're the Messiah, how are you going to, how are you going to be destroyed? How, how, how does Jesus knew the plan, but the disciples didn't see the fullness of the plan of salvation that Jesus had ultimately come to fulfill. But Jesus tells his disciple probably one of the more famous moments at the Last Supper. Even, you don't even have to be in church to understand the, the significance of the Last Supper. It's, it's the time where Jesus had that intimate meal with some of his closest disciples. And he gathers them at the Last Supper, and they begin to have that conversation again about uh, this is going to be the cup, and this is going to be the, the bread, and my body will be broken, and, and, and this will be my blood poured out. And it's in that moment where he's having an intimate experience with his closest friends talking about the, the, the pain and the suffering that lies ahead of them that Judas comes into the picture. And he almost kind of takes the story over. You, you, you probably remember the, the, the story if you, if you learned about it or read about it. They're sitting around the table, and, and, and Jesus says, one of you in this close circle of friends will betray me tonight. It's the one who dips in the bowl with me. 
And I always thought that as a kid that there was this moment where, where the camera panned to the, the table and Jesus and Judas reached their hand in at the same time and they kind of bumped into hands and had a little moment and, oh, is, is it I, Jesus? But everybody was dipping into the bowl. He's sitting at the table and everybody is dipping. So he says, it's the person who dips. He's saying it could be anyone in the room. One of my closest friends today will betray me. The disciples, is it I? Is it I, Jesus? Am I the one? They do some self-examination. And it gets to Judas. And Judas knows what he's about to do. He's going to sell Jesus out to the scribes and the Pharisees for 30 pieces of silver. Pride and greed, remember? Judas knows what he's about to do. And Jesus, he says, Judas says, is it I, Jesus? What arrogance. He knows it's him. Is it I, Jesus says, you have said it. You have said it. The sad part of the story, we see it in Matthew 27, starting in verse 3. Judas's decision would lead ultimately to Jesus being condemned to death, to suffer in agony, to be hung on a cross. And although that's God's ultimate plan for Jesus, Judas was the, the, at the epicenter of that plan unfolding. Imagine the weight of that memory when you ultimately see Jesus go and hang on a cross, when you ultimately see his disfigured body, when you ultimately see and and know what is about to transpire as he's going to be whipped and as he's going to be flogged. Imagine the weight of that memory coming into your mind. Matthew 27 and 3 says, When Judas, Judas, who had betrayed him, realized that Jesus had been condemned to die, he was filled with remorse. He was full of guilt. He felt the shame of what he had done. So he took the 30 pieces of silver back to the leading priests and to the elders. He said, I have sinned, he declared, for I have betrayed an innocent man. (laughs) What do we care? That's your problem. Verse 5, then Judas threw the silver coins down in the temple and went out and hanged himself. The power of a memory, the power of a moment where you look at yourself and you see reflected what you may have done, who you may have been, says he felt remorse. There's a difference in feeling bad about your sin and feeling bad for your sin. There's a difference in feeling sad about your sin and being sorry for your sin. Judas felt remorse, but he didn't repent. Judas felt remorse, but he didn't repent. There's a whole world of people who feel remorse. There's a whole world of people who feel bad for their life decisions that may not have went exactly according to plan. There's a whole world of people who feel bad and feel remorse and feel sad, but there's not a whole world of people who have come to the reality that I need to be sorry for my sin, and that means repent and turn my life to Jesus. Because remorse, feeling bad, feeling bad without repentance, remorse without repentance leads to death. I would argue that remorse is necessary to get to repentance, but remorse without repentance is death. And Judas, in the memory and in the wake of his decisions, leads him to a place 
where he felt the only option out is to kill myself. I am a believer in Jonathan's gospel that Judas would have received forgiveness from Jesus. Even as Judas is walking up to Jesus to the plan was he was going to walk up to Jesus and kiss him, and that would be the sign to the Pharisees of who to arrest and take away. As he walked up to him, Jesus called him friend. Friend, why are you here? The whole conversation around the table, one of you will betray me tonight. That was an opportunity for Judas to say, Master, it is I. Please forgive me. Master, it is I. Forgive me for the greed and forgive me for that, that, that power that I was looking for and that, that authority that I was trying to usurp of you. Jesus would have forgiven Judas. But Judas never felt remorse that led him to repentance. His remorse took him to a place of death. And Judas isn't the only one in the story to focus on either. There's a parallel storyline taking place with Jesus and the rest of his disciples, the so-called remaining loyal and faithful few. On news that Judas was the betrayer, awkward dinner party. The room began to kind of probably have a bit of a stir, and I, I no doubt as Judas is at the table, some, some gospels record him leaving. Some don't mention that he leave. We would assume that he probably made an exit. But Jesus speaks to the rest of the disciples about what would happen next. He says in Matthew 26 and 31, on the way, Jesus told them, tonight, all of you will desert me. For the scriptures say, God will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. Verse 32, and, and, and make an earmark of this in your Bible or on your Bible app. But after I have been raised from the dead, I will go ahead of you to Galilee and meet you there. Peter declared, even if everyone else deserts you, I won't desert you. I will never desert you. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, Peter, that this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times that you even knew me. No, Peter insisted, even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And all of the disciples vowed the same. Peter, the outspoken disciple. There's an interesting exchange here. Jesus says to his disciples, you're all about to desert me for what's about to happen next kind of an awkward conversation. If you think about it, you're going to desert me. And Peter, you would think that in this moment, you've just been with Jesus for a few years. You've seen his words are, 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 are not in question. When Jesus says something, it's going to happen. I mean, it's just the way it's been. You would think this would be an opportunity maybe for Peter to step out and say, Jesus, I pray right now that you would give me strength. I pray right now that you would help me to get through what is about to transpire. I pray right now that you would, uh, you would just break my will, you would break my pride, and God, you would give me strength to not leave you, not desert you. I would humble myself, and I would say, I need you to get through the next few days. But Peter doesn't say that. Peter is relying upon his flesh. His flesh is willing, but his spirit is weak. His flesh is strong. It's, it's part of his nature. It's part of his makeup, but his spirit is weak. He, he doesn't take the opportunity, but he says, God, I will, Jesus, I will not forsake you. I will not turn my back on you. And Jesus goes as far as to say, you're going to do it three times. You would think that's a message to Peter to wake up and say, I'm not as strong as I think I am. But nonetheless, he 
claims that he will not deny Jesus. We jump down to verse 74 of Matthew 26. Jesus has now gone to trial. He sat before the high priest, and he's being, he's being sentenced. And, and Peter, we beat him up, but the Bible really records, maybe aside from John, who had a bit of an inside seat at the trial and the council, Peter is the only real disciple that hangs out and actually watches the trial unfold. So we beat Peter up, but Peter is willing. Peter's following at a distance. He's following and watching Jesus under trial. He's following and watching Jesus as they, as they, as they try him and they're convicting him and bringing false accusation against him. And Peter gets approached by the angry mob. No, that's not what the word says. He gets approached by a servant girl. He gets approached by a maid. He gets approached by a servant girl and says, Peter, aren't you one of those? One of those followers of the way? One of those believers of Jesus? Aren't you one of those? And verse 74, he began to curse and swear, saying, I do not know the man. Three times he denied knowing Jesus in the face of a servant girl. I don't know about you, but that is embarrassing. Jesus is about to go before an angry mob of people and be beaten and whipped, and Peter stands before an innocent little servant girl. I would be embarrassed. I would find it difficult to reconcile that one. Denies Jesus three times, and immediately the rooster crowed. The words of Jesus go on to verse 75. And Peter remembered the word of Jesus, who had said to him, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And so he went out and wept bitterly. He felt bitterness. When he looked back on the image of what he had done and what he saw reflecting back at him, there was bitterness in that image that he could see. Because... He had failed Jesus. He was so strong in saying, Jesus, I'm never, ever going to deny you. And when the pressure got turned up just a little, Peter turns his back on his Lord. Bitterness sets in. But what I find interesting and where the story changes and where things turn a little differently for Peter is in the words that I read when it says, Peter remembered the words of Jesus. Because I think sometimes we read that like Jesus is saying it in spite. I told you so, Peter. I told you so, Peter. But that's not how Jesus is. That's not how Jesus was saying those words. Jesus was bringing back into remembrance into Peter the words of Jesus so that Peter would understand that, Peter, I knew that this was going to happen before it happened. You're not surprising me right now. I knew that you were going to fall. I knew that you were going to, to stumble and be made to stumble because of me. But, but here's, what I, here's what I think. Again, I, I'm going to kind of expand a little bit, and I don't want to read into something that's not there. But in the gospel according to Jonathan, if you could go back on the screen to, to Matthew 26 and 32. I told you to earmark that verse said, Peter remembered the words of Jesus. 
I, I think he remembered the words of Jesus that said, before the rooster crows three times that you will fail me. But I also think that he remembered the words of Jesus when Jesus said, after I have been raised, I will meet you in Galilee. In other words, I know that you're about to ditch me. Jesus said, you're all going to desert me. You're all going to fail me. You're all going to leave me. But after I have been raised, I am going to come back and I am going to meet you. You're going to ditch me, but I'm not ready to ditch you. You're going to ditch me, but I am going to meet you even in the point of your failure, even in the point of your bitterness, even in the point of your greed, even in the point of everything that you see wrong in yourself. I am going to meet you in Galilee. I think that Peter remembered the words of Jesus. He, he knew he made a mistake, but he knew the heart of Jesus, that Jesus was faithful, that Jesus was faithful to those who he called his own and who he loved. I will meet you. Luke's gospel records Peter running to the tomb. The women had reported that Jesus' body's gone. It's not there anymore. And Peter runs to the tomb to see what's up. Jesus, Peter didn't walk away from Jesus. He messed up, but he didn't turn the other way in his bitterness and walk to a place where it was complete death. He ran back to see where Jesus was. You find it in Luke's gospel. Then we read in 1 Corinthians 15. I gave you a couple extra verses for the projection, but let's go to 1 Corinthians 15, and let's just read verses 4 and 5. Paul is recording the account of the burial and the resurrection after the fact. This is written years after. Paul says he was buried. Speaking of Jesus, he was raised. And on the third day, just as the scripture said, he did what he said he was going to do. He was seen by Peter and then by the twelve. He was seen by Peter and then by the twelve. Now, Peter isn't the first person who saw Jesus, but the Bible tells us that of the disciples, Jesus made a unique and a special appearance to Peter. The one who deserted, the one who turned his back, the one who walked away, whose flesh was willing, but his spirit was weak. Jesus made a special, they don't give us a lot of context in scripture about what that moment looked like, but I can only think about what would have happened between Peter and Jesus when they saw each other. And we would know from history, reading the word of God, how the story ends up for Peter. Peter becomes the, the, the rock on which the church is birthed. That ought to be hope for somebody today that the church was birthed out of somebody who was a deserter. The church was birthed out of somebody who walked away from Jesus, denied Jesus. And just because of the nature of Jesus, he was faithful to those who turn and come back to him. And he birthed the New Testament church of the apostles out of Peter. Two different stories, Judas and Peter, one felt remorse without repentance. One obviously had a moment of repentance where their emotions and everything that they were feeling led them back to a place where they found forgiveness and restoration in Jesus. I'm almost done. Uh, I'll ask the music. If you come back to the keys, that would be great. This is the power of our remembrance. When scripture says that Peter remembered the words of Jesus, don't, don't look at that as a sad thing. 
Peter remembered the words of Jesus. He remembered who Jesus was. I wish somebody today would remember who Jesus is. In your moment of weakness, when you look and you see who you are and the things that you've done and the the, the things that are written on the mirror of your life, I wish somebody would remember who Jesus is. The words of the book that say you're not who the world says you are, but you are my child and you've been purchased with a price. The blood washed you and cleansed you and you are mine the mind is a powerful powerful thing where is it leading you to I'll end with just a couple more scriptures and you might understand at that point why I have a mirror up here so many people are walking around heavy hearts You look at your life, you just see failure. You see your mistakes. You feel sorrow. Maybe there's death. Death that doesn't make sense. And when you look and you remember where you've been, It's almost hard to see yourself through all of the labels that the world has put on you, friends have put on you, the devil has put on you. Maybe maybe there's divorce. Maybe there's loss of relationships. You fill in the blanks. We all have them. I have them. During this pandemic time, the Lord spoke to me specifically about remember, because in my own life, I was thinking about the things that I've done, the places that I have been. And if I'm honest, there's times when the devil can get me to the point where I think I'm no good for anything. Because all I see is the colorful mess that I've created for myself. It's blurry. Paul writes in Romans 12 and 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove that good, acceptable, perfect will of God. That word transformed in the Greek is metamorpho. What does that mean? It just means I'm good with big words. No, when you look at scripture, you have to understand which word they use for certain words so you can understand the context. What does it mean to be transformed? That's great, great to say that. That's a a Christian scripture we love to say, but what do you mean transformed? Well, that word is used in two other places in the New Testament. It's used in Mark 9 and 2 on the Mount of Transfiguration where Jesus was transfigured. He was transformed before the disciples. And it's also used in 2 Corinthians. And that's the one that I want to focus on today as we wrap up. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 16 to 18. Paul is writing again. And again, I think it's so fitting that Paul writes this because we know the background of Paul. It wasn't pretty. It was dark. He no doubt walked around with a lot of these things. But he says, nevertheless... When one turns to the Lord, 
when you have an experience where you repent of your sins, you allow his spirit to fill you. When his spirit fills you and you begin to speak in another tongue and you're baptized with that gift, it says the veil is taken away. What is, what is the veil? It's a reference to the Old Testament where we were separated from God. This is an Old Testament versus New Testament thing. In the Old Testament, they didn't have the new covenant, which was Jesus going to the cross and dying for their sins. They were separated by a veil from the presence of God. In the tabernacle, the Old Testament tabernacle, there was a veil that separated uh, the, 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 the believers from the holy place where God's presence would dwell. You couldn't go in there because you were unclean. That veil is no longer there because of what Jesus did on the cross. He tore and rent that veil. And 17 says, now the Lord is the Spirit. Jesus going to Calvary also made us accessible to the Spirit of God. His Spirit can fill us. His Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. There's no bondage. Devil wants to bind you in your mind. He wants to have you so distorted in your thinking that you don't know which way is up. But there is a liberty that comes from the Holy Ghost flowing in your life. And verse 18, but we all with an unveiled face. Remember, the veil is gone. There's no separation now between me and Jesus. Beholding as in a mirror. King James Version says, a glass the glory of the Lord. Well, in the time that this was written, they didn't have nice mirrors like we have today. They would use polished metal as a mirror. And so when you see a mirror, what, what, what they're saying there is, when I look into this polished piece of metal, I see a reflection, but it's, it's kind of wavy. It's kind of blurry. Think about looking through some old antique glass where, where you can see it, but it doesn't, doesn't look 100% clear. That's what the writer's saying here. We look in a mirror and we behold the glory of the Lord. Do you, do you get what's happening here? Paul is saying, when I have been filled with the Spirit and the Spirit has brought victory, I can look into the mirror of my life. And although I don't see His glory perfectly, I can see an image of his glory. I can see a, a portion of his glory. I don't see the things that maybe I put on my life. I don't see the labels that I put on my life. You see, we try so hard to remove these things. We try so hard. We try books. We try self-help. We try pleasures. We try drugs. We try to drink it away. It just doesn't go. And what we see when we look at ourselves apart from God, we see a, a blurry image. We see an image that is marred and it's colored and it shows things that we don't like. And there's nothing that we can do about it. And we feel remorse. And we have two options. We can have remorse that leads us to a place of death. Or we can have... Remorse that leads us to a place of repentance. And what Paul is saying is here is, if you encounter his spirit, if you come and remove the veil, if you repent and you turn your life and you point your heart in everything that you are, God's going to baptize you with his spirit. And when he does that, that mirror of your life, the reflection of your life, 
those things that were once a part of your history, those things that were once the labels on your life. Behold, I look in a mirror, and it's not perfectly clear because we're never going to be perfect until we reach eternity. But when I look into the mirror, behold, I see an image of the glory of the Lord. And each and every day, I am being transformed into that same image that I see from glory to glory. Day after day, week after week, month after month, I am being made into the image of the glory of the Lord. Through what was done on the cross. The veil was torn. There's no separation between you and God. I don't know what, I don't know who this is for today. But I know that God is calling me to let somebody know that the battle that is taking place in your mind, the battle that is taking place in your life when you try to remember where you've been, who you were, what you've done, doesn't have to be a battle anymore, but by the power of the Spirit of the Lord. It says, transform from glory to glory as by the Spirit. It's not something that you can do on your own. It's not something that you can do with a book. It's not something that you can do with a therapist. But, but God says, by the power of my Spirit, I will restore you. I will heal you. And when you look in the mirror, you don't have to see where you were or what you once were, but you will behold the glory of the Lord until the day comes where we see him face to face. The word says that he imparts his righteousness on us. My righteousness is as filthy rags, but when I look in the mirror, I don't see my filth, but I see his righteousness that has been imparted upon me. Remember the words of Jesus today. Remember the words of Jesus today. I ask you to stand with me. Remember the words of Jesus today. He wants to meet you like Peter. Meet me in Galilee, Peter. I will come to you once again. Remember the words of Jesus. If anyone is in Christ, you are a new creation. The old has passed away. Remember the words of Jesus. Isaiah put it like this. Do not call to mind the former things, for I am doing a new thing now. It is coming. Don't you see it? God wants to do a new thing in you today. I know that the ending of this service might not always happen like we've done it in times past, but I believe with all my heart today that God is ministering to somebody in this room. Maybe you're online. Maybe you're watching at home. And if you are, you can put it in the chat because I've got the chat open. If you want us to pray for you in the next few moments, just go ahead and drop your prayer request in the chat window. If you're upstairs, God is speaking to you upstairs. He is wanting you to remember the words of Jesus. Remember the words of his book. Thank you for joining us today. We pray this message spoke into your life, your heart, or whatever situation you may be going through. If you'd like to follow us on social media, you can find us at lifechurch.ca on Instagram and on Facebook, just search Life Church and you will find our navy blue logo with the letters LC in the middle. 
Now, before you go, we ask if possible from whatever platform you may be listening to us on, give us a rating or a review or even both and share this message with someone so that they can be impacted by the gospel of the love of Jesus Christ. We thank you for your support and love you all. Have a wonderful week and God bless.